Well, good morning, First Free. How are you all this morning? Good. It's so good to be with you. I'm so excited about our baptism celebration that's coming up. My name is Andrew. If you don't know me, I work on staff here with our student ministry, and I'm really excited to dive into God's Word together. Hey, students. (laughs) Hey, guys. Excited to study God's Word together. We're going to be in Mark 10, 46 to 52. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles now or pull it up on YouVersion Bible app if you have that on your phone. As you are turning there, I'd like to share just a short story to kind of set up where we're headed this morning. Have you ever had an experience that challenges the way that you see something or someone? Three weeks ago, Amber and I uh, went down to Florida to visit some of her family, her aunt, her uncle, her cousins, and they had a virtual reality system. Anyone here tried virtual reality before? It was really cool, really surprised me. They had cameras that encircled the room to catch your movements, um, controllers for your hands so you could interact with the world around you, uh, a headset that covered your ears and eyes. It was just incredible. I mean, when you put on the headset, it was like you were stepping in to a totally different world. After about 15 or 20 minutes, Amber's cousins decided, decided to try to have us try a simulation called Face Your Fears. I should have known this was a bad idea based on the title of the simulation. It was designed to force you to face your fear of heights, and I am terrified of heights. Anybody else? Anyone just really scared of heights here? Yeah, that is me. Always have been. So fortunately for me, Amber's dad tried the simulation first, and we could watch on a computer screen what he was seeing in virtual reality. He put the headset on, looked down, screamed, dropped to the floor, and tried to hold onto the carpet. It was that freaky for him. Of course, we had fun laughing at him, and it didn't look that scary on the computer screen, so we kind of figured, oh, he's exaggerating. He's, he's hamming it up. You know, he's that kind of a guy. And uh, then it came my turn to wear the headset. <laughs> and in this particular simulation, you're sitting in a building, This sounds totally ridiculous, but it feels very real in virtual reality. This alien robot comes, destroys the building you're in, and you are left standing on the edge of a tall building looking down with hundreds of feet below you. I glanced down. I screamed the most high-pitched scream you've ever heard, and I did not stop until it was over. My heart was beating. My hands were shaking. I could hardly stand for part of it. Amber and her family were laughing at me the whole time. And uh, man, it was an experience that challenged me to see in just a different way. And as we were going home, we talked in the car about how it was so different to watch on the computer screen and actually put the headset on. When you watch on the computer screen, you didn't really see the experience, right? But when you put the headset on, it just, it was seeing in a whole new way. Our passage this morning is going to challenge us in the way that we see, in the way that we see Jesus, the way we see ourselves, the way we see what it means to follow him. Mark is going to challenge us in the way that we see. And then where we've been in the Gospel of Mark, if you're new with us, we've been walking through the book of Mark together. The theme of sight, of seeing, has been a big theme. This section starts out with the healing of a blind man. Here today, we'll dive into a passage where we see another healing of a blind man. And as Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem, three times he tells them that he is going to be crucified, die, and then raised from the dead. And the disciples don't get it. 
they don't see what Jesus is saying. And so remember how Peter rebuked Jesus that this would never happen to him. And then last week we saw that James and John kind of had their own selfish agenda for Jesus' kingdom, that they didn't really see him accurately either. Most of the time, the disciples struggled to see Jesus. And I think this is true of us, isn't it? Just in the midst of the challenges of our day-to-day lives, we can really struggle to see Jesus. It's true personally. It's also true culturally right now. Um, There's an interesting study done by Barna, who does research into American religious life. They looked at, um, what do Americans believe about Jesus? 56% believe that he was God. 26 thought he was only a religious or spiritual leader, and 18% just weren't sure. Lots of confusion about who Jesus was. And it's interesting when you look at these numbers for the younger generation, for the millennial generation, only 48% thought he was God, less than half. 35% thought he was a religious or spiritual leader. 17% just not sure. A lot of confusion about how to see Jesus. And we're not immune to this either. Even if we've been going to church for a long time, sometimes it can feel like we're watching him on the computer screen, that he's somehow distant or or removed or even irrelevant to our lives. Instead of seeing him in just the, the intensity and the fullness and the richness of all that he is. So our passage this morning is going to help us to see that. We'll see two truths that help us see Jesus. In our passage this morning, that's where we're headed. We'll see two truths that help us to see Jesus. So let's pray and let's dive into our text together. Lord, I pray that you would use your word, use this passage to open up our eyes and open our hearts so that we can see you. I pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start in verse 46. It says, Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. Here in this verse, we see briefly the context, a large crowd, and the main character of our passage. The context is the city of Jericho. Jericho was 20 miles from Jerusalem. It was a common stopping point for pilgrims on the way. So it just makes sense. Jesus and his disciples are heading to Jerusalem. It makes sense for them to stop in Jericho. We also see that a large crowd follows Jesus out of the city. Um, These probably would have been Jews who were heading to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. It also could have been some people who were just interested in Jesus and his message, his miracles. Maybe people who had political or even revolutionary hopes for what Jesus would do when he went to Jerusalem. So a large, large crowd is traveling with them. And then we're introduced to our main character, the main character of our passage today, a a man named Bartimaeus. And Mark tells us two things about him right away, that he is blind, he's unable to see, and that he is a beggar. He is, he's poor, he's forced to beg. I think we should pause and try to put ourselves in the shoes of this man for a minute. Can you imagine being veiled in a world of total darkness, how scary that would be at times to try to navigate life in the ancient world like that. And then not having family to care for you, to give you meaningful work, being forced to beg day after day after day after day with no hope of anything ever changing in total darkness, just hoping to hear the sound of a coin tossed, tossed at your feet. This is a man 
who was in a desperate position. Let's look at verse 47. It says this, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. In the parallel passage in Luke, it says Bartimaeus asked what was going on. He heard the noise of the cry, said, what's going on? And someone said, it's Jesus, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And it's really interesting, he's told Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, but he calls him son of David. What's going on there? Son of David was a a way of referring to the Messiah in that culture. It was just a common way of calling or speculating someone might be the Messiah. The term also has these rich Old Testament roots where the prophets taught that David would have a descendant who would become a king who would bring justice and righteousness to the poor and the oppressed. And so culturally and in this rich sense theologically, he's calling Jesus the Messiah here. And we can't be sure how he knew this. It's possible that Bartimaeus heard of some of Jesus' miracles sitting at a busy crossroads in a major city like this. If that's the case, can you imagine the hope that sprang to life in Bartimaeus' heart when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth, the man who could open the eyes of the blind, was passing by? He becomes desperate to get Jesus' attention. So he starts to shout and he starts to cry out. And the Greek word for shout suggests it was this loud, persistent cry. There's a lot of yelling that happens here in this passage. Bartimaeus is shouting out, crying out, and then the crowd is rebuking him, yelling at him, be quiet, Bartimaeus. The assumption of the crowd is that Jesus is too busy. He has bigger and better things to do than to pause for a blind beggar. In the Greek, it's almost like many rebuked him and many times more he shouted out. So the louder they rebuke him, be quiet. Bartimaeus, stop bothering us. He cries out louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Can you hear just the desperation in his voice as he cried out? And then there's these three words in the Greek text that change the trajectory of this narrative. It simply says, in Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped. He's going resolutely to Jerusalem on the most important mission in the history of the world. And he hears Bartimaeus' cry, and Jesus stops. There's a quote about this moment that I think captures it. Um, One of the commentators on this passage says this, how remarkable, how remarkable that the Son of Man allows the cries of a poor and powerless person to stop him in his tracks. I love that, that the cries of a poor and powerless person can stop Jesus in his tracks. Here we see the first truth that that we see about Jesus, and it's simply this, Jesus stops. Our God is a God who stops for the poor, for the desperate, for the oppressed. He stops to care. He stops to listen. He stopped for Bartimaeus, and it's true today that he stops for us in the midst of our desperation, in the midst of the places that that we need God's healing and his care, Jesus will stop to care for us. 
Is there a place this morning for you where, where you are desperate? I know as I've studied this passage, it's, it's churned up places where I feel desperate for God and desperate for Jesus. Maybe for you it's an unmet need. Maybe it's a broken relationship where you're longing to see Jesus. Maybe it's a struggle or a challenge that you're facing in your life. Maybe it's a struggle with sin. Friends, what Jesus is saying is we can bring those places the deep, desperate places of our hearts, and Jesus will stop to care for us. He will stop to care for you. And so Jesus invites you to bring those places to him this morning. And I think this passage also challenges us to stop for others, doesn't it? I mean, as followers of Jesus, do we stop for the desperate? How often are we like the crowd? We just get caught up in in the busyness and the craziness and things are moving at a million miles an hour and we miss the cry of someone who's desperate, who needs us to listen and pay attention I had a friend in college who modeled this so well for me. His name was Zach, and we met weekly for discipleship. We'd read the Bible together, go through discipleship worksheets. And this particular day when we met, I was telling Zach about a guy in my dorm who I was having a difficult time loving. He and I would um, hang out and play guitar every once in a while, and I was just having a tough time with this guy. He was a crazy party guy, stereotypical, rebellious college student, And it was challenging for me to love him well. So I'm telling Zach about this when all of a sudden that very guy walks by and says hello. (laughs) It was one of those moments where you're talking about someone and and they show up. Anyone ever had a moment like that in here? It's a little bit awkward, you know, it kind of surprises you. Zach didn't miss a beat. He puts the discipleship worksheet away and he says, hey, you want to come have lunch with us? You want, you want to spend some time together? And then he spent the next hour spending time with this guy, building a friendship with him to point him to Jesus. I just saw someone who was rebellious. Zach stopped for someone who was actually desperate for friendship and, and to know God. He modeled stopping for others so well for me. And so maybe this week, maybe the Holy Spirit will have a moment for you where he encourages you Stop. Stop for this person. Be on the lookout for an opportunity to do that this week. Let's continue forward in our passage in verse 49. It says, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumped up and he came to Jesus. It's significant that Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, that, that Mark includes this detail, suggests that it was important. When you think about it, as a poor, blind beggar, Bartimaeus's cloak would have been one of the few possessions that he had. He probably would have tied it around his waist every day, laid it in front of him to beg on the side of the street to catch the money that people threw at his feet. He may have used it to stay warm at night. He may have even used it as, as his bedding It was one of the few things that he had, and when you think about it, it represents so much more than a coat to him. It represents protection and provision, and he throws it aside. He doesn't fold it up or count the coins. He throws it aside to get to Jesus. And so I think there's an application question for us here. What is your coat? And what I mean by that is what do you tend to trust in for protection and provision in your life? 
Maybe it's a job, maybe it's a role, maybe it's a skill or an ability that you have and that's just the thing that you trust in, the thing that you rely on. Maybe it's a powerful person, maybe it's a sin that you go to in a broken attempt to find fulfillment. What is your coat? Jesus invited Bartimaeus and Bartimaeus threw it aside because he knew he hoped that Jesus had something better for him. And Jesus invites us to throw aside those things that we try to find protection and provision in as we trust in him. Let's keep going in our text. In verse 51, Jesus asked Bartimaeus this profound question. He, Bartimaeus is brought to him, it says in the parallel passage in Luke, and then Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? It's a profound question in and of itself. As I wrestled with this passage this week, this question challenged me and how I would answer that question. If Jesus were to ask me, what do you want me to do for you? I think that's a good question for us to reflect on. What's interesting is it's actually the same question that Jesus asked James and John in Mark 10, 36, in last week's passage. You remember? James and John come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we, we ask of you. Not a great start, right, when you're approaching the Son of God. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? It's the same question that he asked Bartimaeus here. And James and John wanted power and glory and reputation. There was a sense that though they could see physically, they didn't really see Jesus' mission or his purpose. And so Jesus had to tell them, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. James and John, in a sense, were blind to seeing Jesus. And Bartimaeus, though he's blind, there's a sense where he sees Jesus in a way that's deeper than the, than the disciples. And we see this in, in his response. It's so humble. He simply says, my rabbi, I want to see. Rabbi, I, I want to see. That word rabbi could be translated teacher or, or lord or, or master. There's this reverence, this humility in the way that he approaches Jesus. He says, my rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, in verse 52, go. For your faith has healed you. And instantly, just like that, the man could see. This is an amazing miracle that Jesus performs, right? Bartimaeus has thrown aside his cloak. He's completely dependent on Jesus' provision in this moment. And Jesus doesn't let him down. And imagine the reaction of the crowd that instantly Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. This physical healing is really significant. It's important. It's, a, it's an incredible miracle. And as significant as it is, I think it points us forward to a greater healing, the healing that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Jesus heals Bartimaeus, and that word heals can also be translated save. It's the Greek word sozo. It's salvation language in the New Testament. Bartimaeus healed Jesus, and then he went on the road to Jerusalem to save Bartimaeus. And so the second big idea that we see about Jesus, the second truth, is that Jesus saves. Simply that Jesus saves. Our first idea is that Jesus stops. Jesus also saves. He saves us by providing healing for our most desperate need, the need to be saved from our sin. Friends, aren't we like Bartimaeus? Aren't we blind in that before being united to Christ, we don't see our true spiritual condition? 
We don't see our pride or our arrogance or our rebellion against God. And before being joined to Christ, aren't we poor? We have nothing that we can offer to God to to force him to save us. We're just like Bartimaeus, blind and poor. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't leave us there. Jesus saves us by going to the cross. And I think there's so much in this passage that points us forward to the cross. Jesus is going on the road to Jerusalem where he will die on the cross. As Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, he's handed over to the religious authorities and to the Romans. And in Luke it says he is blindfolded and beaten by the Roman guards. Think about that. Jesus, the Son of God, became blind so that we could see God's love for us on the cross. On the cross, Jesus is rebuked. He's made fun of by a crowd of people that pass by, just like Bartimaeus was made fun of and rebuked. Only Jesus is rebuked so that he can silence the rebuke of sin and guilt. And then there's Jesus' cry and Bartimaeus' cry. Bartimaeus cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out so that we could be healed, so that our cry for forgiveness and mercy could be answered by his work on the cross. He cried out so that blind beggars like you and me wouldn't be forsaken by God because of the good news of Jesus and what he does for us in the gospel. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It connects seeing with what we see in Jesus in the gospel. It says this, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God. Here's the key part that is seen in the face of Jesus. What does Bartimaeus see the first time he opens his eyes? He sees the loving face of Jesus. And when we see the cross, when we see Jesus work on the cross for us, we see the love and the compassion and the power of God through what he's done for us in the gospel. The simple message that Jesus saves, that Jesus saves. And so there's a call for us to respond. There's a call for us to throw aside our cloak, whatever it is that we've put our faith in, that we've, that we've trusted in. There's probably so many of us this morning who are trusting in something other than Jesus. And so maybe the call for you is to put your faith in the fact that Jesus saves for the first time. Or maybe you've already trusted Christ, but you've, you've began putting your faith in something else. Maybe Jesus is calling you to take a step of obedience and throw aside your cloak and trust him and him alone. Let's see how our passage ends in verse 52. Jesus said, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. This is is a neat phrase that Mark includes here. The word follow is discipleship language in Mark's gospel. We think back to where Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is a word that describes discipleship. And then there's this phrase, the road, which could also be translated uh, the way. Literally in Greek, it's the way, which was a way they described the movement of discipleship 
to Jesus in the first century. And so it's not just that Bartimaeus walked a little with Jesus down the road, but that Bartimaeus followed Jesus on the way as a disciple. And that may be why we have Bartimaeus' name. In all the other accounts of healing in Mark's gospel, we aren't given the name of the person who is healed. And some of the commentators think that he may have included it to show that because he was known to the community Mark was writing to, Bartimaeus, this man who was blind, who became a disciple of Jesus. We can't be sure if that's true, but I think what we can be sure of is that phrase is a powerful definition of discipleship, isn't it? To follow Jesus on the road, to follow Jesus on the way. That discipleship isn't this checklist or this program or this thing that, you know, we just kind of do with part of our lives. It's following Jesus on the road. And Jesus invites us into that this morning. You guys, could you, could you envision a discipleship movement here at First Free and in our community where we follow Jesus on the way, where we abandon all else and just follow him, where we realize that Jesus stops for those who are desperate, and where we stop for those in our community, here in the suburbs of St. Louis, who are desperate, where we throw aside our cloak and trust him, where we proclaim the message that Jesus saves. Could you, could you see and envision a movement of discipleship like that here at First Free? It seems like God is, is at work amongst us in some exciting ways. And I think as we see Jesus, God's going to work, bring about this discipleship movement here at our church, and it's going to be so exciting to be a part of. The question for us is, will, will we join him? Don't you want to be a part of that? Will, will we join? And how is he calling you to join in today, to follow him on the way? Well, we get to celebrate baptism today. We see a step of obedience that some of our friends and family members are going to take. And so that's going to be exciting. I'd like to invite our prayer team to come forward at this time and invite Nathan and Joy and the team to come forward and lead us in a song. If you would like to come forward for prayer during the song, please do. If there's a place where you are desperate and you need Jesus to care for you, come forward. One of our team members would love to show you that care. Or maybe this morning, God's been working in your heart to help you trust Christ for the first time, to believe that Jesus saves. One of our prayer team members would love to talk with you. So prayer team, I invite you forward. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you, thank you that you have opened our eyes. Thanks that you've helped us to see through what you did on the cross, God. Thanks that you are a God who stops to care for us in the midst of the heavy burdens that we carry. Thanks that you are a God who saves, that it's not just that you stop, but God, that you did something for us to answer our most desperate need. Thanks that you died on the cross for us and rose again to heal us, God, to save us and to bring us new life. We're excited to celebrate that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.